You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. This morning, or I should say this afternoon now, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. And uh, this is where we're going to camp over the next few weeks. We're beginning a journey into this incredible book. If you've got your Bible with you, or if you pull your Bible up on your phone, on an app, if you can head towards Ephesians, that would be wonderful. Um, This is such an amazing book. And uh, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, new to faith, then the book of Ephesians was originally a letter. Uh, What had happened in the early church, Jesus had come and through his ministry teaching and and healing the sick and raising the dead, it had culminated in him going to the cross and laying down his life for all of our sins and all of our shame and being laid dead in a tomb, but on the third day being risen again from the dead in the power of an endless life. And the Bible says after 40 days or so, he was taken up into heaven to be with the Father. And the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the early church. And and what exists now in the earth of what people would say maybe nearly 2 billion believers in Christ began there right at the beginning. And one of the opponents of the early church was a guy called Saul who ultimately changed his name name to Paul. He had such a radical transformation in his life. And he was a persecutor of the church, but Jesus appeared to him and he was converted and became one of the great leaders in the church. And he went and took the message of Jesus all through Europe. And he came to one of the great cities, what is now Turkey, which then was the Roman province of Asia. The, The capital city of that region was Ephesus, a mighty city in its day. And Paul ended up, through different circumstances, staying there for three years and really building an incredibly strong church. And now years later, he's in prison in Rome for his faith, and he writes some letters out to some of the different churches he's been a part of. And one of them is to the church at Ephesus. And this is the book that we call the book of Ephesians, and it's a letter that went out. Now, unusually for Paul's letters, there are are no personal greetings. They normally, you know, he finishes by saying, oh, and by the way, say hi to Jack and, you know, send my love to Mary and, you know, let Olivette know I'm praying for her. But there's nothing like that inside of Ephesians. And uh, it's understood this is almost certainly a circular letter that Paul writes, not tackling any specific issues in a local congregation, but to the wider church, encouraging the church with some incredible truths. And this is our focus over the coming weeks Armitage Robinson, who was a writer, called it the crown of Paul's writings. A theologian, William Barclay, called it the queen of the epistles or of Paul's letters. The poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge said, this is the divinest composition of man. Only I'm not sure I quite agree with it because this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I believe this is the word of God. The commentator Raymond Brown says, among Paul's writings, only Romans could match Ephesians as a candidate for exercising the most influence on Christian thought and spirituality. And the title of our series as we camp in this book for a few weeks is this is kingdom living. This is kingdom living. Because really this book, in short, is a letter all about the church. And we believe that we have a king. Who believes we have a king? 
a King Jesus. The Bible says he's King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus is bringing his kingdom in the earth. It is a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. And it's a kingdom ultimately of bringing the people of the world to God through Jesus that they might know him and be with him forever. And this king is building his kingdom and he has one way of doing it and one plan which is through the church. This Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. An unstoppable thing in the earth. You know, we heard last week from a man persecuted for his faith of God appearing to people. Jesus appearing in personal form to people, moving through the earth. God is building his church in the face of persecution right across the earth. And this book is about kingdom living. This book is about how we as Christians, if you can accept the wider language of the Bible, are part of a kingdom. We are subjects of a kingdom, subject to the king to bring his ways, his rule, his reign into every life and sphere of society. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this miracle testimony yesterday, because this is what we're believing for. This is how the kingdom comes, where somebody comes and, and prays in the name of Jesus and does what they can't do, but Jesus can do, and then the kingdom comes. And families get impacted by the grace of Jesus in the earth. This is the coming of the kingdom. And so really through these six chapters, my summary would be that Paul, broadly speaking, and and it's such an epic book, it's hard to break down, but broadly speaking, if you'll give me some grace, he does this, he number one unpacks the foundations for kingdom living. Some thoughts around our identity, who we are in Christ, what God has done for us. It's not just that we got saved from our sin. God has done an amazing work in us to prepare us to be subjects of this kingdom. Chapters 1 and 2 cover the foundations of kingdom living. Secondly, Paul identifies the framework for kingdom living, which is the church, and speaks into the church, the eternal purpose of the church. The church didn't spring up like a club. It was planned in eternity past by Almighty God. And Paul speaks into that and speaks into the need for unity in the church, speaks as the church as a body, as a temple, and, and how together we can be built up and grow into maturity and in our faith. And he prays one of his great prayers that we might know the love of God, He says, and I pray, for this reason I kneel before the Father in heaven, that great prayer in chapter 3, pray that you might know how wide and high and long and deep, four dimensions, is the love of God. And that you might know this love that surpasses knowledge, he says. There's something beyond knowing, beyond information, that you might know in your heart that God loves you. Because if the love of God is at the heart of his church, anything can happen. And the kingdom can come. The framework for kingdom living, the love of God and the church that he planned in eternity past. And thirdly, through chapters 4 through 6, he begins to urge the practice of kingdom living. Unity, purity, humility, submission to one another, honor in our relationships. And we'll cover all of this ground and prepares us to stand in a spiritual battle. It's an incredible book. But make no mistake, Ephesians is deep. It is more, if you will, a rich chocolate mousse than a plate of mashed potato. And if you try and wolf Ephesians down, you'll end up struggling because there's too much there. 
And, and even though we're going to move through it quickly, if you're going to study it in your own time, I suggest literally a verse at a time. Stop. Read a sentence. Start to unpack it. Get a, get a journal and a, and a pen and write down some of the themes and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand because some of the concepts, they're so concise and so mega that you need the Spirit of God's help. If you read through a whole chapter, as we're going to do in a minute, in partly devoting ourselves to the public reading of Scripture that the Bible says we should do, if you try and read through it quick, there's no way you can take it all on board. But take a moment. Allow God to speak in and through it. And something incredible can happen. There's a man called John Mackey who became the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. And he said, to this book I owe my life, talking of Ephesians. And he talked about how at the age of 14, I won't encourage any teenagers in the room. You know, maybe you're here because your parents have bought you. At the age of 14, John Mackey read this book and with the help of the Holy Spirit, something incredible happened in his life. He understood some things he'd never understood before. He said, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experience, new attitudes to people. I loved God. Jesus became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I was really alive. Wow. And we're so aware in the seven weeks that lie ahead, we're just going to scratch the surface of Ephesians. We pray by the grace of God we might home in on some jewels. John Calvin uh, took 48 weeks to preach through the book of Ephesians and his sermons are recorded. You can buy them. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said that the sermons of Calvin, Calvin on Ephesians are simply priceless. That's what he said. Priceless. And typically, Calvin took two verses a Sunday and just preached on them, maybe three, sometimes four. Dr. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in Westminster Chapel preached through the book of Ephesians over an eight-year period. Wow. Don't you think you'd be ready for something else by the end of that? (laughs) But we're really aware we're just scratching the surface here. But one of the challenges with a book like Ephesians is its beauty can be its barrier. It's so epic you can think we can't go there unless we give three years to it and actually we do ourselves a disservice. So we're going to give it a go. I'm going to invite Catherine Gaccini to come and and read the opening chapter to us. This is chapter one of, uh, of Ephesians. Thank you. Cool. So if you'd like to join with me on your Bibles, your devices, like Martin said, I'll read from chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and the... Sorry, bear with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. 
With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory." For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Amen. Great job, Catherine. Thank you. Well, who got all of that? Yeah, it's a lot there, I understand, and what we're going to do today is just dig in to a few nuggets. We, time does not allow for us to go through verse by verse, concept by concept. We'll leave it for you in your own time to take some time in this book, but we're going to pull a few things out. But if you missed it, after a very brief introduction, there are really two parts to this first chapter. Firstly, there's an explosion of praise, what is called a eulogy, or, or the better term actually is a baraka, not, not a baraka, but a baraka, which is a a Jewish term for an expression of praise and thanksgiving to God that normally began, praise be to the God who? And this is what Paul says, he's praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, sometimes we, we can get trapped in what it means to be blessed. For us, if, if the gospel is not a gospel for the whole world, then it's not the gospel of Christ. Now, I believe God can bless us in every way, naturally and spiritually, in any context and within our context, whoever we are and wherever we are in the earth. But whatever is going on, the persecuted brothers in Christ in the earth who are in solitary isolation for their faith, they're still blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Whatever may happen to me, I'm still blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, I thank God for his many, many other material and, and other blessings, relational blessings around my life. If I stop, as it's good to do sometimes, and count my blessings, I'll go for a very, very long time. I am the most blessed man I know. 
But you know what? If everything circumstantially was taken away, I'm still blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this is what Paul says, this explosion of praise. And these first 12 verses after the introduction from verse 3 to 14 is actually one single mega sentence in the Greek. Paul just takes off and and starts bringing forth this huge explosion and articulation of praise of what God has done and and it's too much for us to take on board but incredible a kaleidoscope of dazzling colors one commentator says an eagle rising and wheeling round as though for a while uncertain what direction to take in his boundless freedom because of all that God has done and secondly a prayer Paul's prayer saying I thank God for you I've not stopped thanking God for you and remembering you in my prayers as I keep asking this, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You know, my prayer for you is that you'd get it. This is my great prayer. You know, he's in prison in Rome and he's praying for the church in Ephesus and he's praying above all things, oh Lord, help them to get it because if they get it, it will change their lives forever. And he's praying, God, Lord, open the eyes of their heart. Give them a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might know some of these amazing things. Well, as I say, we're going to scratch the surface, but we're going to use a simple acrostic that God cares by homing in on five wonderful ideas within the, the great panorama of every spiritual blessing that we're chosen, adopted, redeemed, enlightened, and sealed, chosen in him before the creation of the world, adopted as sons through Christ, redeemed through his blood, enlightened to know, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's going to be enough for today, right? And I'm going to need to move quick, so pray for me. Number one, we were chosen in him before the creation of the world. This is what verse four says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You know, you may think that you chose God, but I want you to know God chose you. Did you come and at some point, if you're a Christian here today, did you come and at some point decide for Jesus? Yes, you did. Did you at some point out of your own free will make a decision to be a follower? Yes, I believe you did. But is it also true somehow at the same time that God himself opened your eyes that you might see? Put something of a desire within you that wasn't born out of your own goodness but his grace that you desired to make a move towards him? I believe, my friends, you were chosen in him. Uh, You know, God chose you. He wanted you. He planned you. He selected you. He called you. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of your natural life and arrival into the earth might have been. You were chosen and planned by God. This is what Paul is saying. Understand this church. And I pray they might get it. Because if we get that we were chosen before the creation of the world, something will change in us. We will forever be transformed. We, we will be ready for kingdom living. We will know that we can walk tall, not in ego and pride, but we can walk tall as sons and daughters of the living God. Know that he chose us and we are right on time. We need never be insecure again. If we truly grasp, and our prayer is that we may truly grasp, that we were chosen before the foundations of the earth. I remember hearing an incredible testimony of a, of a lady who the natural circumstances arriving at surrounding her birth were, was that uh, she was the product of a union between a prostitute and a client. Uh, but she came to understand that however that may have conspired, maybe in their minds unintended, she was chosen before the creation of the world by God. There are no accidents in the kingdom 
of God. You know, I don't know if you remember the dreaded uh, sports lineup, the selection of teams where there were two captains and they were each given the opportunity to choose to go first pick, second pick, third pick, fourth pick, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, until maybe there were four people left and it was like, oh, you can have them, we'll have them. I don't know if you were ever in the bottom end. Anyone ever in the bottom end? I want you to know you were chosen in him. God chose you before the foundation of the earth. You know, have you ever considered, stopped to consider the conversation in eternity past between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that somehow, even before God said, let there be light, they began to talk together about the divine plan? The divine plan to, to create the universe and to create man and woman in his image and likeness as the pinnacle of his creation. That, that his desire and heart was not only to make mankind, but also to invite us into the Trinity, to have communion with God. But knowing that a, a love relationship to be reciprocal required free will, that he was going to invest free will in the man and the woman. And that would result somehow in the breakdown of relationship in sin coming into the world. And, and, and they're talking this through in, in my mind. Now, God doesn't need to talk to himself, but imagine, go with me for a moment. And the son says, but One of us will need to go on a rescue mission, and I know it needs to be me. And the Father says, yes, but I will be with you every step of the way. And the Holy Spirit says, and I will come after you, and I will glorify you and point all towards you. And they say, we're so excited about our rescue mission. And they start to dream and think about about what they're going to plan in creation. And one of them says, I've got an incredible idea with an Indian flavor. I see it on the 21st of June, 1984, that a winning dynamic sperm will first reach its egg and Jonathan Chand will be conceived in, in the womb of his mother. A winner from the beginning. And nine months later, on the 21st of March, 1985, he will come into the world right on time. But I, and, the, and the son says, I can't wait for Jonathan and the spirit. You're going to have to wait for him because we need him there and we need him then. And the father says, I can see it. He'll have an epiphany in a nightclub on New Year's Eve and turn his life over to us. And, and the Spirit says, and I'll put my hand heavily upon his life and we'll call him to do great things in the earth. And then the Spirit says, I'm seeing something. That there's, a, there's a Romanian connection here. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a, an incredible recipe of something wonderful. Oh, I can see a Doris Voina. A Doris Voina. I can see her too, says the son. And the spirit joins in. Jonathan and Doris. Jonathan. And, and, and he hasn't yet said, let there be light. You put your name in that. Understand, my friend. You were chosen in him before the creation of the world. Would you say that with me? I was chosen in him. Say, I was chosen in him before the creation of the world. If we grasp this. It will prepare us for kingdom living, chosen in him. Secondly, adopted as sons through Christ. In love, the Bible says, verse 5 of Ephesians 1, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He desired to adopt us as sons. Now, if you think about it, well... John chapter 1 says, to to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're already called children of God. The emphasis there is that we would have the nature of the Father. Romans 8 says that 
that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. That there's, a, there's an emphasis there on inheritance. So why, why if we're children with the nature of God, why if we're sons with an inheritance, why would Paul use the language of adoption which could seem maybe, maybe not as strong as those other terms? Well, interestingly, in my NIV Bible, and if you've got the same version as me, you'll see a very curious footnote which says, the Greek word for adoption to sonship is a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. Paul was writing something that would be lost on us, but was powerful to the readers. They understood this term. They would understand that according to Roman law, there existed something called patria potestas, which is a Latin term that means the power of a father. Inside a family unit, the father had had extreme powers in that culture, that anything that was owned by anybody else in the family from offspring down actually belonged at law to the father of that wider family. That father had the the right at law to punish members of his family, including at one point, even up to capital punishment. I mean, some of this was extreme. I'm not saying it was right, but also within it, the father could adopt somebody that he chose and they would have legal rights the same as any natural born sons. And sometimes, because not all, not all Roman fathers were bad and evil, they maybe had compassion. And, and side of those that were slaves or servants, sometimes a, a young man would be brought and would find favor with the father. And he'd say, let me make you a son. And they would go through this uh, public adoption ceremony. And the whole community would gather and the father with any natural offspring would come forth dressed in their togas with the family crest on their togas. And the servant or slave that was being brought into adoption would come out in their slave clothes or their servant clothes. And it would be in front of the whole, uh, the people of the area and then the servant or slave would go behind a screen and would come out in white linen and then the father would bring out a toga with the family crest on it and place it upon the young man. And at that point, the legal status of sonship was bestowed upon the one that was a slave and was a servant but now is a son. And there's a key point here, which is that at that moment, this young man had full authority to bear the title name of the family household. And no one would ever dare say to him, but I know where you came from, because he would be recognized in front of the community. And because of the power of the father's decision, no one would contest that this, this one, who they may not verbalize it, but they knew had been a slave, had now become a son. And there's a point here, Paul is saying... Every spiritual blessing in Christ, chosen before the creation of the earth, and adopted as sons, given full authority, the rights of the Father to bear the family name. I don't know how many of us understand the authority we have. This is partly how we can go out, healing on the streets, and pray for the sick, and see them healed, if we understand we've been adopted as sons, according, as Paul says, like unto the Roman culture of the day. Chosen. Adopted. Thirdly, redeemed through his blood. This is what verse 7 says. Every spiritual blessing in Christ in him. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now the richness of the words is almost too much to take in. But in the middle of that mega sentence, we're redeemed through his blood. Redemption. Which means deliverance by the payment of a price. My friends, we were lost, bound, captive in our own sin. We were slaves, but he paid the price with his blood because he loves us. 
I love the old story of the boy that made a boat. You may have heard it, and he, in his father's shed, he, he got to work fashioning a, a little sailboat, and he made the, the body of the boat, and he carved out a wood, and he sanded and prepared it and put a mast and got some material from his mother and, and, and shaped a sail and, and got it ready and finished, and he was so happy with it, and he carved his initials on the underside, and then came the time where he wanted to see if it would actually sail, and he, he went down to the local lake, and he tentatively placed his his beloved boat onto the water to see if it would topple over or or go and it it began to sail it sat perfectly in the water and and he jumped up and down as it as the breeze took it and it cut through the water but then the the breeze turned and 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 the the boat began to drift away and so he waded in after it but the boat went further away And the boy couldn't get it and he hadn't foreseen this happening and he couldn't reach it and it went further and further out of reach and he came back to the shore and he went round the side of the lake to see if he could get it and he kept his eye on it and he couldn't get anywhere near it. There was no one else around that could help. And as it got late in the day and he knew his mother would be worried, he went back home distraught and he was in tears and his mum said, well, didn't didn't it work? He said, no, it worked worked too well and I've lost it. Next morning early, he goes back to the lake, but he can't see it anywhere. But two weeks later, he passes a second-hand store in his town, and there in the window is his boat. And he sees it, and he rushes in, he says, it's my boat, it's my boat, and he picks it up. And he's about to take it out of the shop, and the shopkeeper says, hang on a minute, sunshine. Well, where do you think you're going? He says, it's my boat. He said, I, I, I made it. Look, here's my initials on the bottom. I, I cut these strips into the side. And the shopkeeper said, I'm sorry, I, I bought that off somebody and it is for sale. And in this shop, it's 25 pounds. And if you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. And the boy didn't have anything like 25 pounds, but he said, promise me you won't sell this boat to anybody else. And he goes home and he says to his mom, can I do some extra jobs for money? And, and over a period of days, he, he earns some money and he saves. And whenever he can, he goes back to the shop to see that it's still there until he has his money together. And then he sets out and he goes to the shop and he pays the money and he gets his boat and he holds it and he looks at it and he treasures it. And he says, you're twice mine now, first, because I made you and second, because I bought you. Hello? Do we understand? Do we understand the word redeemed? He made you. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. But we all like sheep have gone astray, the Bible says. Each turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He purchased men for God from every tribe and language and nation. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You have been redeemed. Why don't you say, I have been redeemed. redeemed. Say it again. I have been redeemed. Fourthly, enlightened. Enlightened to know. This is a prayer that Paul prays, but he prays it because he knows that it is possible. You know, if we will understand that we're chosen, if we'll understand that we're adopted, if we'll understand that we're redeemed... We also need to understand that the Spirit comes to enlighten us to know. Enlighten us to know what? Well, well, this is what it says in, in verse 18. I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, among other things, the hope to which he's called you. 
the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray you're going to know that. You know, I, I've got to confess, I, I don't know as well as I know I potentially can know these truths. I don't know about anybody else. And I pray in God, open the eyes of my heart that I may know. You know, God comes to bring revelation to the hearts of his people. You know, we thank God for information, but we don't just need information. Ultimately, we need revelation. Something that changes where we get it. I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where you, you thought you knew it, but then suddenly you get it. At the age of 17, I'd heard many times that Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world. But in a moment, something happened and I got it. You know, the, the Bible is clear. There's creative power when the word and the spirit come together in the beginning. It says that the, the spirit of God hovered on the waters and then God said and the world came into being. The creative power. That's why we need to be people of the word and people of the spirit. Because if, when the Word and the Spirit come together, anything can happen. On the fourth day, it said God created the sun and the moon and the stars. But on day one, he said, let there be light. The true light who gives light to every man was coming into the world. There is light that can come into your inner being when it is pitch black uh, outside or inside because you suddenly grasp the truth that is in here. That you may be enlightened to know that something might change within you. And I encourage you even over these coming weeks to get into this book, to to take a sentence that's too big for you to understand as you read it real time and, and pray, Holy Spirit, help me to understand this. I remember doing that as a, as a youngish Christian, probably been a Christian a couple of years. And I, and I read this verse, and maybe John Andrews in a couple of weeks will get to this, these two verses in chapter 3 of Ephesians. It says, it was his intent that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I remember reading that and going, Wow! I don't understand that. That's too big. That's too macro. What is going on here? And sitting down with a piece of paper and writing out, it was his intent. God had an intent. He had a plan. What was that plan? That plan was that, that now, okay, is it still now? Is it still now? That, that, okay, that he had an intent that now, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ. So this has been eternally planned. That when Jesus said it is finished, now I, I'm not going to go on, but at the end of grappling with these verses, allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate me, I was so excited because something had happened in me. I'd been enlightened to know a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I got it. I saw it. I understood. Something changed in me when I understood the purpose God has for his church out of these two verses. They changed my life. And I wanted to go and tell anyone that was willing to hear, come and look at this. I was more excited than they were, but something had happened in me. And I want to encourage you, don't settle for just coming to church and going home, being part of life group and and going home for yourself. Seek wisdom and revelation. Seek the, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And I believe God wants to do that in us and through us and for every single one of us. And finally, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You know, if we understand, friends, that we're chosen before the foundations of the earth, if we understand we're adopted with the authority of sons, 
If we understand that we've been redeemed by his blood, he made us and he brought us back. If we understand that there is enlightenment that can be ours. And if we understand that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a down payment, we will be transformed for kingdom living. We will be ready to do whatever God calls us to do. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know, into the culture, a, a seal was a, was a mark of ownership or authentication. Branded onto cattle, even sometimes branded onto a slave. An external mark of ownership, but also of responsibility. You know, those of us who are Christians, when we gave our lives to Jesus and the Holy Spirit came into our hearts afresh. When we were filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, the seal that comes that says... We're his. We're his. And you know what is thrilling about this? Not not that it just means he owns us, but that he's responsible for us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to look out for us. He's going to look after us. If a farmer has a a sheep or a a cow with his brand on, he's responsible. He'll go and rescue. He'll look out for. He'll feed. He'll care for. The seal of the Holy Spirit in me that says, I am his and he's mine. That says he's watching out for me. And don't you think it's incredible that it goes on to say a deposit guaranteeing an inheritance? You know, you try and buy something sometimes and and to secure it, you have to put a deposit down. You see a table that you want or a a chair, I I don't know, something and and you say, oh, can I buy it? But I've not got the money. So can you put a deposit down? So that I'll then not sell it to anybody else. I'll hold it for you until you come back and make it fully yours. That God would speak of himself as a deposit. The Holy Spirit in you is a deposit of the inheritance to come. Because there'll come a day when we shall see him and we shall be like him when we see him as he is. And we will come into eternal glory. And, And the pain of the world we live in will be a thing of the past. A down payment now for the glorious inheritance that lies ahead. This is what the Bible says. What an incredible gift the Holy Spirit is. What a remarkable thing that this one who loves us and cares for us would even call himself a deposit. Guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are for God's possession. And as I finish, it says this for the second time to the praise of his glory. You know, lest we should get trapped in all of these thoughts about what God has done for us. It's not all about us. Every one of them speaks of his love and his grace. Every one of them points to how gracious he is, how kind he is, how loving he is, how exceptional he is, how how he would go beyond anything that we deserve to the praise of his glory. And our prayer is that we journey, as we journey through this book, we would be captivated once again to kingdom living, to the praise of his glory. That our lives would be to the praise of his glory. That I would walk out this week and you'd walk into your university lecture theater. You'd walk into your place of work and you would know you were chosen in him before the creation of the world. And you'd walk differently because of it. You'd you'd have a joy that you didn't have last week because God has brought an enlightenment to your heart. And as you do that, be to the praise of his glory. That someone say, what's up with you? You seem so happy. And you go, yeah kind of begin to tell you why something incredible has happened in my life as we finish I wonder can we stand who knows we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we come to a close I'm going to invite us all to pray if you would like a spirit of wisdom and revelation to come to your heart 
If your prayer would be that the Holy Spirit would enable you to see and know at a deeper level, why not open your heart right where you are? If it helps you to open up your hands, to close your eyes, to do whatever you need and want to do, but make it a moment of response. If you would say, God, would you help me to see afresh? Help me to know in a new way all that you've done for me. God, that I might be for the praise of your glory. But I wonder across this room, can we begin to lift our voices and pray? God, come and work in our hearts. Lord, thank you, you chose us. Thank you, you've adopted us. Thank you, you've redeemed us. Thank you, Lord, you enlighten us. Thank you, you even sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And we pray today, come and open the eyes of our hearts. Let a spirit of enlightenment impact this church. We pray that we might be those that are called of God and we might know who we are and whose we are. That we might walk tall as subjects of this awesome kingdom. That you might be glorified in us and through us. God, we pray and we thank you for your magnificent grace. We thank you for your incredible love. We thank you, God, that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we pray, prepare us for kingdom living, for the honor of your name. And all God's people said, Amen.